that we're all a yeah. part of a team. And it was so beautiful because I think when you see people like me or channels or anyone that talks about their guides or their mob or their team, people look at these people and think they're special in some way. And every being on the planet is a part of this team, this spiritual team, this collective, this higher consciousness, this connection to source. Yeah, it's really a very spiritually intimate relationship that we have with our team. These are not vague, distant, ghostly beings. These are people we have known from the beginnings of eternity that we have worked with. Uh, we can think of it as some of us are in the lookout tower and some of us are the boots on the ground. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. Welcome to ATP Radio. I'm your host, Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, showing you how to accentuate the positive, the way to a better life. Your radio station is an example of the future existing right now. Welcome to another hour accentuating the positive here on Soul Traveller Radio. I'm your host, Karen Swain. I'm a teacher of deliberate creation, a channel and a medium, channeling wisdom from my guides and broader perspective whom I called blissful beings. On Accentuate the Positive, you'll hear conversations with open hearts and inspired minds. It's my intent to put more love out through our media. It's so important to have a media diet that uplifts you, empowers you, and reminds you of who you really are, instead of a lot of the media that we get that puts you in fear. So this is why I present the show. I've got some wonderful guests lined up for you. Hello and welcome to another show accentuating the positive awakening consciousness with Karen Swain. I'm so delighted. I know I say this every show, but I mean it every show, but I mean it even more today. I'm so delighted to introduce you to Francis Ray Key, who is the scribe and the author of a series of books called The Team, A Mother's Wisdom from the Other Side. She scribed these books after her mother transitioned, left her physical form in 2010. Her mother, Gloria Crystal Teddy Key, together they had a beautiful spiritual journey in the physical and Frances had often said to her mother, you really have to write down what you know, mum. And later in her life, in her 80s, she said, no, I'm too old now, but it's never too late. And she came to Francis after she transitioned from her physical body and spoke to her so much more. Welcome to the show, Francis. So excited to have you on the show. Uh, thank you. I'm absolutely thrilled. You know, Francis sent me a couple of the books, the first two, and I've been reading them and really... Oh, blown away at this material, absolutely blown away. The books have answered so many questions that I've had and I have my connection to my own higher self or spiritual team or mob, I call them the mob, who <laughs> speak through. I love them. that. <laughs> the mob. I know. I gave them a prettier name, you know, a few years ago. <laughs> I call them blissful beings because they're very blissful, a collective yeah. stream of consciousness. 
Yeah, so I've had questions that I've not sat down and really received the information for. I've just thought, well, I wonder about that and I wonder, but never really sought the answers. Like, I'll find out about that later. But these books have just answered those and really expanded. They've expanded. They're amazing, really amazing. I can't rave about them enough, yeah. Francis. The, you know, they're not for everybody because they're, they're really for the spiritual seeker. They're really for the person who really is interested in the mechanics of life, of physical life, of spiritual life, who we are, why we've come. And not everybody is asking those questions. There are people at different levels seeking wisdom at yeah. different levels. I don't know if you call this a more expanded level or a higher level, but there's a lot of channeled material out there. And when you read this material, it's so on point because as a medium or a, and a psychic, I can feel when the personality kicks in and when it's hired, when it's channeled information as channels right. speak. But every word that I read in these books, it's like I'm, I'm there talking to your yeah. mother in a higher dimension, like listening to her. So let's yeah. start out with a bit of your journey, Francis. And, uh, you know, I'd love to hear more about you and your mom. And Oh, there's so much to say, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, when did you first start thinking about spiritual principles and asking questions? Was she thinking about that before you were born and she introduced yes. you to it? Mm -hmm. She truly, uh, well, first I want to say my mother was originally from Australia. Yeah. And that's why this particular show is so special to me. And she came to America during World War II. Right. She was raised Catholic, and she was very, very devout. She loved God. She loved spiritual matters. She loved truth. She loved people. She loved serving others. And so as she matured, she had so many questions, and the Catholic Church did not answer them for her, and she began to search she went to many different organizations and churches. She read all kinds of books, and she took me along with her. So from the age of about five until about 10, uh, we were, I was exploring things with her at whatever level I, I could do so. And I was listening to her and her, her love of truth, her love of God, her, her humility, her kindness, uh, her classical music. Everything was very, very uh, lofty in those years, raising my own thinking. And um, we ended up at a Unitarian church for a while. Then we went to, she found a church called Ontology, which means the science of all being. And she raised me in this church. I would say it had a esoteric interpretation of Christianity Mm -hmm. And it also explored uh, Eastern thought. Mm -hmm. So I was primed in this sense, and I was also very intuitive, very, if you want to call it, psychic as a, as a young child. I had experiences that I'm so grateful I had a mother like that to explain what was going on. Mm -hmm. As the years unfolded, we learned together, and we had some amazing experiences together of supernatural order along the way so she was my spiritual teacher mm -hmm. and my best friend and my mother and because I'd had so many things in my life occur that were connected to people who had 
passed on and things of that nature, I fully believed I would have some kind of contact with her after she passed. Mm -hmm. But I never dreamed that it would take this form and be this intense and produce such a a large amount of material. There are three books and another will be finished in the next few months. That's the final book. It's actually the compiling of the scores of handwritten papers that flooded through me. It has taken longer than to actually receive it, the editing and the compiling and the typing up and preparing. Mm -hmm. So the fourth book will be finished uh, this year. Wow. So when you were young, as many children do, did you not reach a point where you were, okay, this is what mum believes and this is what mum's taught me, but uh, sort of rebel against the authority and sort of go off on your own and say, but I need to find these things out for myself. I don't want to just listen to my mother. I'm saying that from personal experience, of course. (laughs) But with my daughter, because every time I say, (laughs) you know I talk about the angels or the aliens or you know dead people she rolls her eyes (laughs) I think what happened to me was because I was doing automatic writing at a young age Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, even at the age of 10 and 11 uh, my mother had some friends and we'd meet and they would have me do automatic writing for them and receive messages and so forth and What started to happen was I was having a lot of visual experiences, materializations, all kinds of things happening, and I started to get afraid. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was a teenager, because we were exploring and we really didn't have proper guidance with all that, I started to shut that down. I think I deliberately closed off that very open connection to the other side for a period of time through my I'd say through my teens Mm -hmm. and a little bit into my 20s. And that was my form of rebellion. Uh, But it wasn't a rebellion against her or anything else. And it most likely, now that I look at my life, at one time, this message wrote out, she is too much with us, referring to me as a child. And I think that was true. I think I just needed to pour myself into the world and just be a normal very ordinary teenage girl going through the yeah, uh, experiences yeah. of life. And I pulled away Definitely. from from that. Just tell me what, because we're, the, we're getting a bit of static on the line, just uh, tell me what the message wrote out. You're too much with us. Is that what you said? Yes. She, me, is too much with us. She is too much with us. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> very interesting. Yeah, very because you have to have, I mean, we are here not to escape mm-hmm. uh, we, we are here to to learn and grow and explore and so personally speaking I can look back now that I'm at the ripe age of 64 and now I wow, can you look good <laughs> think, I can look back and think yes I really needed to get my feet in the mud for a while there yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and I think uh, that's probably you know, what my daughter does. I remember she very clearly as a young child, she was watching The Matrix and there's a scene where they offer two pills. One you will remember who you are and one you will forget and just be. And she was screaming out to take the pill that would make her forget that she was uh, connected to something else. And I looked at her and I thought, this is a message, not to have any conversations with her about what I'm exploring and and receiving, Uh, but to let her be third-dimensionally focused and I think she still rebels against 
you know, because she's in her early 20s, but there'll come a time when she'll want to know more and, mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting. So you were primed to receive her because you already had that open channel because I know a lot of people are seeking that open channel, uh, especially mm-hmm. people that, that come to me in sessions, how can I speak to my dead relatives or, you know, be more connected to source energy or to my guides, especially my guides, they ask, yeah. you know, and, and have that guidance. So you had that from a young age from your mother, right. spiritual guidance, but you also had it from your own team. Did you feel I did. I did. Life? Yes, uh, I did. I had a very close connection. Oh, I would be just swept up in a, in a state of ecstasy, even as a young child, in reference to, to God. Just yeah. the, pure, the pureness and the love of God was so real to me. Yeah. And then I also had beings that I could communicated with as a young child and played with and could see. Wow. But then after it closed down, I went into... Uh, I'd never completely lost it. I had many experiences, um, lots of premonition-type dreams. I had a lot of visitations from people who would, that I knew who passed, you know, a family member who passed or a friend who passed would come, come communicate with me and a lot of knowing yeah. ahead of time of things. So it never really went away, but I've, I have four daughters. I have grandchildren, so I've been very busy with a very practical life. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when this, but when this happened, I took care of my mother for 20 months when she got sick. She had okay. cancer, and uh, she's very dynamic and healthy until then. And as we approached her passing and then at her passing, and every instant since her passing, which has been about six and a half years now, yeah, everything transformed and everything opened back up. Personally. For, yeah, opened the, the channel to, to the communication. Yeah. It, it's just a journey, a nonstop state of awareness yeah. now. You have a beautiful open channel because oh, I have a channel. I don't know if it's as open as yours. Definitely not but it's a good channel. <laughs> I, can sure. know, I can feel when someone's got a good channel or not a good channel. <laughs> when I read what you've written, I think, wow, I wish my channel was that open. You know, I think that, 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 that quite literally, I think that my mother and I are such close teammates that we sort of ended up interchanging a bit. Yeah. When, when she passed away, I felt something within me literally leave the earth. Yeah. And I never really knew what was going on until all this started. And I realized, I think a, an aspect of my being, because we have many aspects to the soul, just like we have multiple yeah, yeah. changes. You and your brain. mother are from the same oversoul, definitely. And it's something that you talk about. It, look, I, I had some epiphanies just reading in the last day, uh, the second book, of things that I, I've already known. Because I, I know that when I was a young girl exploring my spirituality, who am I? You know, I went to a course and they were saying, you know, the name of my higher self is Doris or Fred or Nathaniel or whatever. And I was looking for a single, you know, entity as a higher self. And my team, my mob said to me, you know, that's not who we are. We're a stream of consciousness. So my higher self is a collective. It's not my soul that is me. You know what I mean? Like a higher version of me. Yeah. It's a yeah. collective of 
many. <laughs> and I've always known that about me, but people don't speak about the higher self like that. They, it's like we're these singular blobs and we have this singular blob that's another, <laughs> you know, higher aspect of us. But in fact, it's a, I think Seth coined it the oversouls. And in this time, in this time of great shift, more than one aspect of our soul in car is incarnating and we can come in. So, you know, they talk yes. about soulmate. It's like your soul or your team or your group or your soul yeah. family. There are just so many different names for it, uh, you know. Right. And so within a family or within a community, you can have so many aspects of yourself in physical form. I think that's what you're talking about, like you and your mother are one Oversaw. Perhaps one, but it actually I, I had intended to send you the book three also because I wanted to talk about something in it, and I, and I will go ahead and do that now. But I want to point out everything in book two, three, and four yeah. are mentioned. Every bit of it is mentioned somewhere in book one. And I didn't know that until I, as I went on, yeah. and I would read back at different parts, and I would think there might be one little phrase or one sentence in book one yeah. about something that is just hinted at and then it's fully fleshed out in the other books. Yeah. It's like the most incredible planned set of material, the way it all connects. Mm-hmm. In book four, it points out what is said in, I mean, book three, it points out what is said in the other two books, hinted at in the other two books, that just like our brain has multiple purposes and right now we're using the language part of our brain mostly and we're using the visual and the hearing not so much the kinesthetic movement but at any given time different aspects of our soul if you think of our soul as one whole being with many many skills aspects talents many different aspects are doing different things just like our brain right now is doing many different things and our heart is beating without us telling it to and all our internal organs are working without us telling them to. So an aspect of our being will enter the earth and it's usually one that has something specific to do and also something that they want to develop. Like A very weak aspect may decide to come in because just like our brain we take it to a remedial math course because we're weak in math and we want to drill it. And we go to advanced English because we're good in English, you know, but different aspects will do different things. And yes, more than one aspect can come to the earth at the same time. Yes. If that's necessary, if we choose that. Yeah. But the greater, the greater part of us is always really on the other side. If you are, there's only part of us here. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. it's interesting as you speak I'm thinking about as a young girl uh, and a lot of young people grapple with this wanting to do so many things and feeling like I, like I wanted to be a dancer I wanted to be a painter I wanted to be a you know a, a personal assistant you know like wanting to explore a singer I wanted to be an actress I wanted to like a lot of creative yeah. I was creative but feeling yeah. like and exploring all of them but feeling like I'd already done them. I was already doing them. But which one to pick? So I knew that I was here to teach and here to expand this consciousness and, and here to support those who are expanding it. But it's kind of like I want to do all those other things. But there, there are parts of me that are already doing it. But that are There doing- are parts of us that are already doing it. Yeah. And 
we have done them already yeah. in some other lives. Uh-huh. And in uh, there's so many strands of possibility that are always going on at the same time. Yeah. An aspect of us are, you know, when we feel so strongly drawn to something, it, it, it very often is because and part of our essence is elsewhere doing that. Yeah. You may be this incredible ballerina right now on the stage somewhere, yeah. you know, and you feel that, you feel that, or it may be going on in another dimension entirely, but you feel it. You feel but it. That was comforting to me when that came through in this book because it helped me to understand some of those frustrations. I didn't do that, or if I'd gone this direction, I could have done that with my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I realized, you know, I'm doing it. I have done it, and part of me is doing it, mm-hmm. or part of my team is doing it. And sometimes when you have teammates in other parts of the world doing all kinds of amazing services for humanity, you feel you're supposed to be there. Yeah. Why am I thinking about an orphanage in China? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe your teammate is there and you just have that connection. Yeah, definitely. It never stops. I wanted to, in the first book, I just want to read this because this is the crux of all of the books. It says this at the very beginning, you are not alone. You are not really even functioning as one person. Nobody is. For you are a member of a team, a spiritual team that is as close to you as breathing and I am part of your team. So that's the first thing she said to you. I mean, really, that's a message to all of humanity. No one's functioning as one person, that we're all a part of a team. And it was so beautiful because I think when you see people like me or channels or anyone that talks about their guides or their mob or their team, people look at these people and think they're special in some way, that they've got that access and maybe they've got a guardian angel or do I have an angel or do I have a guide or is my mother with me? You know, many of the questions and and every being on the planet is a part of this team, this spiritual yeah. team, this mob, this collective, this higher consciousness, this connection to source. Yeah, it's a very, um, it's really a very spiritually intimate relationship that we have with our team. These are not vague, distant, ghostly beings. These are people we have known from the beginnings of eternity that we have worked with. We can think of it as some of us are in the lookout tower and some of us are the boots on the ground. And the lookout tower has the big perspective and they're giving direction and guidance to those on the ground. And then we switch places. We're never without each other. We encounter each other on earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes we encounter each other for just a moment or for a very short time because our purpose for each other is to activate the spiritual DNA in one another. We have physical DNA that gets activated along the way. Somebody wakes something up. You know, we get inspired. We get educated. We get made aware along the way of special things that gives us, you know, our purpose in life. And the same thing happens spiritually because we have spiritual DNA, just like we have physical DNA. So all of it is very intimate. It's very real. It's as if we're sitting around a conference table with a host of beings that we love, who adore us, we adore them, 
Some of them are hilarious. Some of them are scientific. Some of them are poetic. Some of them are the engineers in the group. Mm -hmm. Every team has every talent Mm -hmm. available. They're all different kinds. And I experienced in these books, book one is my mother's voice from beginning to end. Once book two began, I noticed a shift. I noticed that I was receiving information that sounded medical or scientific or more like a sociologist. Uh, The tone changed from chapter to chapter. There are differences that I didn't see in book one. And then she explained to me, because I was so afraid and so closed and had stopped the automatic writing and was afraid to communicate all those years. Mm. But until I recognized her and opened up to her without any fear, now the rest of the team was able to come in and talk. And that's why in two and three and four, there's a lot more information of the different sort, a different energy. Maybe you recognized it when you were reading yeah, because I have that experience. And I, and I know, you know, I've got a mob thing, you know, I'm yeah. very sort of flippant about it, just call it the mob, because I like to make this stuff easy and, yes. you know, like it's it's not, you don't have to sit and om and in a dark yeah. room or join some spiritual church or anything. You can just talk to your team, your mob, you know, yeah. like be really easy yeah. about it. And what you were saying was reminding me, you know, like often... Often our team members come in to meet us physically for a short period of time because they're not here to live out, you know, a long physical life. And it could be a baby that dies after a couple of days or a child after a few years, two years, five years. And because they've met us physically, like you had that experience with your mother, you have that connection which allows you to have that broader connection with your teammates you know often Mm -hmm. that experience of having a child that dies is just saying I'm going to come meet you physically and then and then we're going to continue our relationship as we always have from this perspective but you'll have that intimate relationship with me from that physical perspective and that you'll recognize when when you reach for me in in my non-physical homes they meet us physically and and activate us, spur that memory. Yeah, because um, yeah, you were busy having kids and grandkids and you were busy. <laughs> You've been busy. <laughs> you know, I've been more. very, very busy, as many, many people are. You I know, life is, are, yeah. I feel like I've had 10 lifetimes in one. Yeah. I always love to read out of the books because when I just talk about the books, I am truly a student of them myself. I am the scribe, not not the the originator of the material. And so I'm just a person talking about it, really. But if I read the books, then we hear it firsthand. Look, I know. And I've written down so many stuff I wanted to interview. Like I've just, (laughs) to tell you the truth, what I've been doing is I've been reading them, is I've been copying and pasting it it, it all over Facebook and and saying, you know, these are these books. and, And just little paragraphs. It's just too good. It's just well, you know, I have a Facebook page. I have a Facebook team book page. Oh, I didn't know so, that. But I looked. I couldn't find it. Yeah, yeah. Ah, mm. I think it says a t- the team, a mother's wisdom from the other side, books one, two, and three is what I think it says. 
But here's so that's the, what I do. I put up excerpts from, from the books. Oh, good. Okay, well, I'll put that. I'll share that. But here's the thing that I love personally because I talk about, as a teacher of deliberate creation, showing people how to flow their energy and create their world. I talk about thought form and when I work with people, I'm working with people's thoughts. And, you know, Esther Hicks, who's one of my favourite teachers, is coined it in many different ways. She, she coins it as... Um, Oh, she's got a new way of saying it, moving up discs. She calls them discs, you know, as you sort of step on a different thought disc. And I've been calling them forms. And in the book, they're coined as spheres, vibrational spheres. spheres. And it actually says in the book, from my perspective on the other side, I see wonderful universal systems at work, which I believe is one of the most important things for you to grasp. And I agree because that's I what agree. I do. <laughs> it's one of the most important things for us to grasp. She goes on, or you go on, <laughs> both of you go on. The concept will help you better understand why it is that humanity experiences such exaggerated extremes of well-being and negativity, both on a personal and collective level. It will also help you comprehend the method through which team members align themselves with one another do you want to expand on that I mean I could read from the books but uh, it's just fabulous and beautiful and wonderful well yes I have the same chapter open here in front of me I think to to describe just a little bit more uh, she says that the these vibrational spheres can be envisioned as enormous bubbles Bubbles, which is, yeah, that's how I envision That are like floating. A... And she said they're very real. They're mm-hmm. not imaginary. If we, could, if we had the eyes to see them, we would see them everywhere. And yeah. all of us make deposits into these spheres yeah. of deposits of love, deposits of fear, deposits of anger, deposits of hope. And then all of us draw from those same spheres yeah. when we enter into a particular state of mind vibration yes when you meditate and you go all of a sudden soaring into bliss Mm -hmm. you are not just feeling your own bliss you are are connecting to a vibrational sphere that holds all the bliss that's ever existed in time and you're pulling out of it and that's why it's a tidal wave of bliss the same thing happens when people generate uh, rage, war, fear, violence. They, and, they can't, and, and, and you'll hear people say, I can't believe that this rage came over me and that I said or I did this thing. Mm-hmm. And it's because they have linked themselves up with a vibrational sphere of anger. Mm-hmm. And it is a tidal wave. It is more than just your anger. Addictions, it is more than just your addiction and your craving. Mm -hmm. You are connecting with the entire sphere of that kind of energy. Mm -hmm. And for me, what was so important is it helped me to understand, to be more forgiving of myself for mistakes of emotional extremes that I had experienced in my lifetime and couldn't understand. Uh, outbursts of rage or anger or whatever from where did that come from how could I do that how could or how could that person say that how could that person be so hateful and violent it helped me be more compassionate with others and with myself 
And then it gave me this beautiful image of, of these spheres of love and hope all around us that we can literally, literally drink from. Yeah. Plug it Yes. And then everything that we offer of that nature goes into those spheres for others to use. Mm-hmm. And it says somewhere in these books where if you heal, if you heal from a great trauma in life, perhaps we hear so much about sexual abuse, to heal from sexual abuse, to go through that process that sometimes we don't want to do, we want to push it aside, we don't want to go there and, uh, and review and do the hard work of healing a trauma. But if we do, it becomes available. That healing energy becomes available through those vibrational spheres for everybody who's seeking the same kind of healing. Mm-hmm. For every person out there who was seek, suffering that pain and seeking that healing, your healing is held in that bubble and they are able to draw on it. And to me, that was just so motivating, you know, yes. to to. to to do and to give and to be as much as I can because it, it's for everybody. Everything is so collective. It, exactly. And it really explains because, you know, in, in spiritual New Age community, we talk about being one. We are one. We are one. We are one source. We all come from yeah. we are one. But that concept when we're physically focused, individually, phys- is a really hard concept to grasp. It and is. so understanding that whatever you experience, not only do you give it to yourself, but you give it to others. Yeah. It explains how that happens. So, yeah. you know, you have to be at a vibrational match to that sphere or that energy or that bubble. Or the, You know, I remember I used to be married to a, a man who was, he was a Hare Krishna for years. And in the Hare Krishna religions, they talk about, he read in the books Conversation with God, all religion is based in fear, and he thought that just is not my religion. And then he was telling me one day, not only do they believe in one hell, they believe in planets of different hells, and each <laughs> planet has a different um, yeah. sort of sin attached to it. And it sort of reminded me of these spheres are almost like planets, like the Hare Krishnas talked about different planets, planets of, of bliss right. and planets of hell, you know, like they're they're literally they're they're thought forms they're thought yeah. forms but they're real but we can't perceive them with our physical eyes because they're yeah. energy they're vibrational but they're real and tangible and we feel it we feel when we're plugged in by, by how we feel emotionally so right. when we're experiencing ecstasy tumbles and tumbles of ecstasy yeah. you know, keeps perpetuating yeah. the momentum or that tumble and tumble of rage or hate or depression. A lot of right. people talk about depression. Our medical doctors say it's a disease, but it's just you're plugged into that vibration and it's feeding mm-hmm. you and you're feeding it. It's like this symbiotic relationship between you and this planet of depression. <laughs> yes, and it's also, it also, all these uh, vibrational spheres that we connect to, it's energy. And of course, the energy that we, take in and put forth and then take in. I think of drinking of, we're all drinking of it, you know. Um, it does affect our body. Yes. And our body, our, our body immediately re- reacts 
mm-hmm. to, to those vibrations. Mm-hmm. And, and these endorphins and serotonin and all those things in the brain that are depleted during depression, you know, they'll measure them and say, this person in clinical depression is lacking the production in the brain of this hormone. Mm-hmm. That is directly coming from, it's not, it's not just say that it's not happening in the body or that you don't have pain or that you aren't clinically depressed because there are, it does become a medical condition. Mm-hmm. The two do become connected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The body and the medical condition of the body relates to the energy we are receiving. Well, in a way, our body is a uh, manifestation, physical manifestation of the dominant vibrational force that we're carrying, the dominant sphere, the yeah that's where it's a manifestation of that it's all it's all energy and information and we're just perceiving it as physical or non-physical because of the limitation of our the cones and rods in our eyes and the and the uh, apparatus of the ears and so on and so forth so how long after your mother had transitioned did you actually hear her Uh, I think the exact number is 19 days right my daughter named autumn had gone to my mother while she was in the last two weeks of her life and had said to her, Nana, I hope when you get to heaven, you can send me a baby because I haven't been able to get pregnant. Uh And my mother said, I think I can help you with that, dear. Those were her words. About two weeks later, my daughter called me and said, uh, two weeks after my mother passed, my daughter called me and said, it's happened. I'm pregnant. Wow. Well, I had to pull over on the side of the road. I was so thrilled to hear this. And I jumped on an airplane as soon as I could because something just told me I had to just put my physical arms around my daughter. She lived in New York. Yeah. So during the ride to New York, I was looking out the window and thinking of her looking at the beautiful, you know, the clouds. It's so heavenly. Such a sight. I love to fly. And I just thought in my mind, mother, is there any distance for you? And my eyes were kind of filled up with tears. I could just, I just felt her essence existing in such a a field of beauty like I was seeing. But it was like, is there any distance for you? And I heard her voice say, not exactly, not the way you perceive distance. And I've got the word, the exact words written down in here. I thought, am I hearing her out loud or is it in my head? It felt like it was out loud and in my head. Yeah. And so I started asking questions about where are you? Uh, tell me about this. You know, tell me about this dimension. And I could just hear her. I could just hear her. So I grabbed a piece of paper and I just started writing down everything she was saying. And I am going to read a little bit of the book to describe how it was. At first, I felt like I was having a personal conversation with her. And we talked about things pertinent to my own life. And then the topics branched off into a more universal theme. I was not alarmed or frightened. In fact, I was thrilled, comforted, and excited. Looking back, I suppose I thought it would be a one-time encounter on the plane that would end when we landed in New York. But as you can see from the text in these books, it wasn't a one-time encounter. For the next three weeks, and that's for book one, One. 
I was bombarded with a series of conceptual realizations that were accompanied by mother's voice, giving detailed explanations, examples, analogies, methods, affirmations, and prayers. Most of the information came unbidden, flooding my being when I was otherwise occupied or in a relaxed state of mind, rather than when I tried to seek it. Mm. The experience of hearing her voice can best be compared to what it's like when you hear a song in your head. The music's lead singer, backup singer, lyrics and all. Rarely do we question how music flows through our minds in such a way. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's a common event. Mm -hmm. I can only say that in the same manner, my mother's voice sounded as real and felt as natural to me as it had been when she was alive. It continued and continued, and I was just constantly writing down. And along with it came the most incredible energy. My body felt like I was a young, vibrant woman. All aches and pains vanished. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would stay up all night writing and wake up at 6 a.m. ready to go do whatever I needed to. Mm -hmm. I was infused for several years with this kind of energy and this kind of lit up feeling. It's mellowed now. <laughs> I wish I could hang on to that every second of the day, but probably the physical body would just fizzle well, out. Immediately. I'm thinking about, you know, like guru, high gurus that live their existence like that, sort of yes. plugged into that vibration or inside that sphere, you know, however you want to say it, but you know, I experienced this when I first started going through menopause. I was sweating quite profuse. I was going through the hot flushes and I didn't yeah. think that I would have those symptoms, but I did. Yeah. And it was uh, it was kind of torture for a while because they, they would come on oh, one yeah. after the other <laughs> after the other and I'd be like so exhausted from the heat all the time and I was determined not to take, you know, hormone replacement therapy. I thought it'll pass, it'll pass. But one night I was asked to come and do a, a talk to a group of Jewish women actually anyway and I thought well this would be interesting to talk about spiritual matters to a group of anyway during the whole two and a half hours that I stood and spoke or three hours I had not I was in that state of you know I had no physical pain or symptoms uh -huh. mm -hmm. and because it was just constant at that time at that very beginning and I remember thinking wow wouldn't it be great mm. to be living like that so that you don't have those physical pain? You know, I don't yeah. experience that, but wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yes. You're listening? <laughs> Team, <Yes>. you're listening? <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure that we have lifetimes where we become ascetic cave dwellers and we do, we do stay in a perpetual state of connection. Yeah. And then we have other lifetimes where we're very active and we're out in the world. That's why there's all of this, what's wrong, what's right, how, you know, there, there's so many ways to live and there's, there's validity and value and beauty and wonder in every life, in every approach to life that a person chooses. But yes, that, that bliss and that energy was over the top and it, it, it was something given to me to get this job done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I wrote and I wrote and I wrote for, for a long, long time. And you're I still, should have a better track of how many months or years it was. And you're still compiling the last book. But you said in, the, I think, book one, as you were writing, which I found interesting, 
because I can relate to so much that's in the books, you know, because of the stage of life that I'm in, which I find really beautiful. That's why I say that they're not for everybody. You'd have to have lived a certain amount. And it's, they're the sort of books that you come back to over and over and over again and get just as much the, the 10th time, the 15th time, the 100th time you've read the books because there's yeah. so much. But you said that when you were writing, you felt this sensation in your third eye. And yeah. you said that if you didn't feel it, you didn't write. And it was like an activation that you were like plugged in, connected and like downloading. And if you didn't right. feel that sensation. If I didn't, if, if I was writing and it faded, mm-hmm. I, I noticed that the words felt a bit empty or the, the, right. uh, the message wasn't as clear. And so I would immediately back off. And that sensation was present at all times to some degree for several years day and night without exception now it comes at different times but it doesn't stay like that yeah I think it was simply to get a job done yeah they just found a vessel it was like okay let's make hay while the sun shines you know (laughs) she is open her mother just came Mother was just uh, in the conference. You know, we have this description in book one of uh, this conference. I'd like to read a little bit more if that's okay. Sure. You are never operating solo. On the contrary, you are a representative of your team, and they are filtering information to you as you are filtering your impressions and activities back to them. Imagine a representative of a company being sent out to a conference. His head is full of facts and figures, concrete goals, and mile-high dreams, some of them confidential and some ready to be made known. He has a mission to accomplish, and the hopes of the business are riding on him. His supervisors and co-workers have prepared him. He has weaknesses, too, which both he and the others are aware of. Before and after the conference, he is in touch with the team. But when he stands up to deliver his material to the audience, it's up to him to be, to be the strongest representative he can be, transmitting what he's taught has been taught to the best of his ability. This analogy reflects the basic structure of how souls unite into teams for a variety of missions. And it talks about how they return with this information to the team. And the team lives the person's life over again through the life review with them. And they gather all the wisdom. It's all shared. It's all shared. And and in that way, every team member expands and learns and grows. They don't have to literally do every single thing themselves Mm -hmm. because they they take the information just like you coming back from a conference. Mm -hmm. Um, So this idea that we have to come back to the earth endlessly and learn every single thing and do everything, actually, we do it collectively. Others can even bear a burden for us. Just like we do in real life. Absolutely. We can take on karma for us. We can take on karma for them. It's a collective gift to one another going and, on. And I'm just thinking, 
animals do it too because they're part of our team. I, at Christmas, I was with a, a friend. I sort of freaked him out, an, an acquaintance really, a friend of a friend, and he had this little dog that had died. And he was a sort of nice man, but he was a bit of a grumpy old cow. Anyway, the little dog had got cancer and died and he was very upset. I think the little dog was the closest thing and the thing, you know, the person, the being, the the only being he'd ever really loved in his life. And my guide said to him through me, freaked him out, that that little dog took on his cancer and and manifested, uh, took on his karma and manifested the cancer for him, like he did that for him. So instead of kind of freaked this poor man out because he wasn't really into what, but it just blurted out of my mouth. (laughs) Sometimes you can't stop it. and uh, But, you know, as it blurted out of my mouth, I'm thinking, wow, animals can do that. Yeah. <laughs> so the yeah. little dog wasn't worried that it got sick and left its body. It had no judgment about that. But this man's plugged into those spheres of aggression and jealousy and all that sort of stuff that, that tortured him during his life and why he couldn't have a relationship and all that sort of thing. You know, that little dog manifested that illness that it would have normally been manifested by him. So it was really interesting, I thought. This was a reading that you were doing with him? I know, it was a social occasion, but it came out (laughs) of my mouth. I didn't mean it came through. And the poor man, he was very silent for a while, and I said, yeah, I didn't mean, because it just comes out sometimes that I can't stop it because it just downloads. And But, you know, as it comes out of me, I learn, like, like the same with you, as it came through you, you're learning, like, wow, wow, wow. That's why I read these books and I think, gee, this channel is, your channel is amazing. Like the information coming through is amazing. When I I would receive the material, it penetrated me. I got it. I understood it. I could feel it in every part of my being as as it came through. Mm -hmm. Now sometimes, but, but that clear intensity and that knowledge would fade. You know, I'd go into my day to day life and, and, I can't say I ever went back to the life I had before. I'm a very, very changed person. Person, really. Very. So let's explore that because I think anyone who reads these books would, if you really take on this information and really live it, it's all very well reading it, it it changes you. How's it changed you? It did. Um, Well, at first it changed me very physically. Really? Like I said, I was ext- I was healed. I had no pain. I had I, all, all the physical troubles that I have, which neck and back disc problems and migraines and things of that nature, energy level vanished. I was a completely healed person. And wow. I have never been as weak again as I was previous, but I'm not as strong as I was when all that was going on. However, that was the first thing that happened. I would say before the experience, I had times of depression. Yeah. I have never had a moment of depression since. Yeah. I had issues with some anger, some lingering judgments, uh, traumas in my life that had left me a little bitter and anger, angry, and I would work with it and I would strive not to be that way, but it would come through in in a variety of ways like like those emotions do they manifest somewhere along the line yeah it vanished it truly vanished i have been completely liberated of of anger of bitterness of unforgiveness it simply evaporated 
I remember telling my sister when it first started happening, I said, you know what? I think my nickname, by the way, is Frankie. Okay. And I said, <laughs> I'm, I'm not Frankie anymore. And she said, well, this doesn't sound good. You know, I think maybe we should get you a counselor, you know, since mother died that you're, I said, no, Frankie, the Frankiness of me has gone away. She's not there. And I found myself talking about her as another person at times. Yeah. And I've come to realize that really what happened was an aspect of me that had led this life left and a new aspect of me, a different aspect of my own soul entered to use this body to get this done. And so I truly have become in so many ways, a different being. Another big change that came along with it, and I didn't realize it at, at first, but uh, it started happening more and more, was spontaneous ability to read as a medium. Yes. Uh, yes. In the most vivid and uh, accurate ways. So what has happened is... is if, if it, it, it's simply by word of mouth, I never do anything. I don't put myself out there as a medium. No. But people in the community and, and elsewhere have contacted me for readings. And the first time it happened was in a restaurant when I was waiting for food to go to take out. And there was a big group of young women having a birthday party for somebody. They were all in their 20s. And I was just watching them. I was very relaxed. And they were just so happy and pretty and all of a sudden it came information about each one of them past lives one's grandmother one's father and I did something I've never done in my life I walked over to them and I said I feel compelled to speak to you young ladies because this information's coming in well there are about 10 of them two of them left I wanted nothing to do with it and the rest of them sat and talked with me and it was so amazing they were just we were all in tears with the beauty of the information that came through for them so that continued to happen that was another uh big change and then people the more people learned about this they made me aware of uh, near-death experiences i had not i had vaguely heard of near-death experiences but since this has happened i've become exposed that's how i found you i have started watching things because mm -hmm. here i'm finding people oh they're saying the same thing they yes. experience the same thing it's yeah. so helpful yeah and i didn't have a near-death experience but maybe i did well, because kind of. whatever happened yeah. it was the same effect yeah i hear people say well i had this experience and my life changed i was yeah. healed Mm -hmm. uh, my bitterness was gone or my, you know, lingering anger was gone or uh, I found a new talent or I became spiritually uh, intuitive. So the effects were the same as, as the person who's had a near-death experience, actually. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, 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 and often when people watch near-death experiences, they say, you know, how can I have the effect without the experience? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be hit by a truck or blown up in a bomb blast or, or die yeah. in an operation. 
uh, or get sick, you know, to have this experience. And and for you, that's how it happened for you. Uh, you know, for me, it was just applying what I was taught, both okay. through books and through my own connection. Because as I applied what I read in a book, I started right. getting more connected. And then the information and then was teaching me, but you have to apply it. You can't just read about it. You have to actually yes. do the work. You have to feel the emotion. You have to forgive people. You have to go physically to those people and say, even if they've beaten you up, like my father beat me up as a kid and I had this, I went to him and apologised, you know, because mm. I'm the creator of my reality and I'm responsible for that as well. So taking on that responsibility that I've created all of it and really, really living that. And that's when you take, actually, there's a whole thing in the book about that responsibility too. I can't remember which one it is. I think it's called Nothing to Forgive. Nothing to Forgive. chapter called Nothing to Forgive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, it's so, it's so. Mm -hmm. Pre-forgiveness. Pre-forgiveness. Each day to pre-forgive before you just send pre-forgiveness out in front of you. I'm going to read a bit I've got written down here. Oh, you've got it down. Yeah. As pre-forgiveness becomes more frequent in your experience, you will begin to sweep clean not only your present and future, but everything in your past as well. Please understand that I am using those words past, present and future as you use them not as they manifest on the other side. This useful appearance of time is provided so that while you are upon the earth, you may have a chance to observe and slow down patterns of cause and effect. In reality, as you purify the present moment, changes also occur in what you perceive as your past. This is because the essence of everything in your past is with you in in the present, in either a healed or an unhealed form. Therefore, there is no way to make a change in the present that does not involve what you think of as the past, for that matter, what you think of as the future. One of the chapters I often go back to and read is Nothing to Forgive. Nothing to Forgive. Because, yes, because, and that's where you read that from, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. We want to have, we want to encounter others and excuse them in advance of any debt owed to us, real or imagined. Because if we do not, we're going to have to encounter that vibration again and again you can imagine it like a you're shooting out a ray and it sticks to the other person mm-hmm. you know of animosity or judgment or lack of forgiveness or something we want to excuse all from any debt to us so that we also have no debt to them so that we do not have any entanglements of that sort with that person or anyone like them ever needs to be read because I'm not able to say it as clearly as... But what you said is elaborated on all throughout the books about the past, the present, and the future. Mm-hmm. That the past is literally transformed when we change our present. And yeah. Of course we know we change our future. Yeah. But most people don't realize you are changing the past event. The actual 
vibratory event itself is lifted to another strand of possibility of Mm -hmm. what could have possibly had, the possibility that you never were hit by your father exists in in the the perfect, uh, in the mind of God, so to speak. That possibility always exists. So when you heal and when you forgive, you lift that past vibration up as if it never occurred mm-hmm. until it meets. The, the event is lifted up so that it meets that strand of possibility. So it meets its highest potential, which is that the violence did not occur. Mm. So we transform past events. We truly do. I know it's hard to wrap our linear brains around that, but... It is. Uh, it's uh, extraordinary. Look, years ago in the Seth books, I read that all your power is in the now. So the Seth books talk about the nature of your personal reality and how we create your reality. And these were the first books I started reading before I started getting my own downloads and really uh, applying this this wisdom. And um, my nose is running. I- I- interestingly enough, often in these interviews, it happens. And one of my mediums that I interviewed said, it's just energy running. And I said, yeah, it's running through my nose. It makes my nose drip. Anyway, it, it says in the Seth books, you know, all your power is in the now. There is only the now. And that really, that pre-forgiveness, it really explains, it really talks about the power being in the now. Mm-hmm. To not only forgive the past, but to forgive the future. Like to forgive to forgive yeah. anyone that's ever going to cut you off in traffic or yeah. or yeah. lie to you or rip you off or, yes. you know, like... Pre-forgive, pre-forgive. pre-forgive. I could, yeah, it's just... And uh, there's somewhere in the books where oh, I've written so much down where you just start to, you start to actually live in that state that we were talking about, that blissful state of no pain and expanded awareness like the like the gurus do. When, when you apply this, when you application yeah application there's nothing to forgive no one can harm me no one can smite me you you relinquish fear because fear is like what if I get ripped off I lose my house I lose my job my partner leaves me my my sibling dies you know what if that fear it's like uh, nothing touches you because you're in the state of the third dimensional reality is is not really who you are it's just the game you're playing it's just the it's just the stage you're acting on and uh you can't be touched you just touch that part of you that can't be touched and you live through that you know it it says here when your true goal is to neither receive nor inflict any wounding and by doing so to minimize another person's connection to the obligation of recompense. Then you become a conscious participant in the mission of healing humanity's collectively accumulated emotional ensnarement. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, his absolute refusal to condemn or retaliate against his oppressors relieved those people of half the burden they would normally have to carry for their actions and left Jesus none whatsoever. If, on the other hand, he had tallied up every injustice and recited this list of offenses to those around him, he would have entangled himself in the cords of revenge and remained bound to those individuals or similar situations until he had no more animosity left and it goes on to say 
if we are bound, if we bind ourselves with this kind of back and forth of lack of forgiveness until we have none left, why not jump ahead and just have none left? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that you don't even have to go through it and you don't have to put anyone else through it. Yeah. And you're free. You're free. You're free. I know it's much easier said than done. I understand that. But what but you're saying about application is the key. But that's the journey, you know, like the app, applying the knowledge is why we're here, right? I mean, we wouldn't be in this physical body if we weren't here yes. to apply what we come to know. And the application is is the fun of the ride. I mean, reading about it, you know, that's 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 interesting, but it's not until you right. apply it that it, things really get juicy. Now, because we're running out of time, I could probably speak to you for about 50 hours, but from whence you've come, Chapter and two. So I read one a few weeks ago and I've been perusing two over the last 24 hours. And so two, book two is all in my head at the moment. I would say read all of them a hundred times each. I wanted to sort of talk about some of the things in this chapter because this chapter I love. I'm going to read from it. And so Teddy is saying, your mum is saying, I I share with you now a set of ideas that may be different from what you are familiar with. And as soon as I read that line, I'm like, oh, good, something new. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goody. (laughs) (laughs) You may find you need to suspend some familiar and deeply rooted impressions in order to be able to grasp what is being said in this segment. For this reason, we do say, let truth be free. That which rings true for you, may you embrace. That which does not, please gently release. Beautiful words, and I would say that at the beginning of every interview, I should. First, I ask you to suspend the idea that you've come to earth only to grow. I ask you to consider that you have come to earth to assist with the evolution of the consciousness of the planet. And in that process of doing so, you grow. In other words, you are here to primarily to assist. And the byproduct of that assistance is your own personal growth. Yes. That is just beautiful. Yes. I'm not even here for my own evolution. I'm here for her. Yeah. We truly, this is why the collectiveness of it is so important and is so empowering because it makes you want to grow. It makes you want to serve. It makes you want to evolve because it's not for you. It's not. And our lives can become so selfish and become so focused on, you know, what we can get out of it, even in spiritual matters. You know, we can bring our ego and our selfishness right into our our spiritual life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The growth is a byproduct of what we do to assist the world. And the physical earth and the inhabitants of the earth. (laughs) You know, I I spoke to one of my favourite Garnet, Garnet Schulhauser, who, who, who travels throughout the cosmos in his astral body with his spirit guide and then is and then writes down what he actually experiences. And he spoke to Mother Gaia and uh, she said that she is going through this evolutionary shift and it's her time to ascend. 
And until the, the beings on this planet meet her vibration, she can't. And so the, our spiritual ascension or our awareness is actually, you know, it just it's the same message but just said differently. But she did say, unless we do, if we keep fighting and, and killing each other and, and rape and pillaging the earth, she is going to kick us off because at some point she's going to send. If we don't come with her, she's just going to kick us off the human body, you know, she's just going to kick us all off. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that really affirms that where, you know, our spiritual evolution, our f- forgiving people that have hurt us is really about helping her. It's really about her. Yeah. Yeah. And not polluting the earth and, and, and the invention, you know, inventing things that clean up the pollution and inventing new ways of yes. plastic going to the supermarket instead of all this junk that we buy that we put in the bin, you know, that mother of invention is actually about, it's all about her. It's all about her. Mm. Right. Yeah, the service, the service. If we, if we can shift our thinking to the joy of serving, yeah. serving the, the, the planet. The greater good, one yeah. One another. The joy in it. So often people approach that idea of, it, oh, I have to give up something or I have to, it's going to be, you know, me, me, me. Me, me, It's for the collective. Yeah. It's for the collective. There's a chapter somewhere called The Collective. I don't think I've got to that one. I'm going to just a couple more. I, I, this, 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 this I like from whence will you've come. The next one. Next, I ask you to suspend the idea that you are thrown into a circle of suffering until you earn the right to be free of it. Right. Replace that concept with this one. You choose to come here. There were many other planets and dimensions to choose from, but this was your choice and therefore it became your assignment. You have committed to serve this planet for a period of time and together with your team you are intrinsically involved in deciding when you have accomplished what you set out to do. So, so many spiritual, you know, religions or ideas of thought talk about this endless cycle of karma and so many spiritual people when they wake up to the beauty of who we are beyond this third dimension say you know we're in this prison planet we're in this um I'm not going to come back this is this terrible place you know I hear this perpetuated on the net all the time and in my circles and uh, my guides have always said to me, from your broader perspective, from your soul's perspective, you chose and you chose willingly and you will probably choose again. For from that perspective, you see the benefit of all the struggles and the trauma that we go through. You see that as growth and not as punishment. <laughs> and um, right. that's why I loved right. that, you know, because it just speaks to what I know. And I think that a lot of well all the information really speaks to what you know it speaks to that core of what your soul knows and uh, it activates your spiritual dna you recognize it you know it's like oh i recognize that yes yeah and then she says the next one next i ask you to suspend the idea that you are in any way a weak struggling spark of divinity replace that with the i with this one you are fully formed divine being who has agreed to enter this plane to 
stimulate and bring under control the emotional, physical, and intellectual aspects of the body to which you are connected. You are doing this because you know that by activating higher and higher levels of development, first in the body and then in its immediate circle of influence and finally throughout society, you are helping to accelerate the evolution of consciousness in the planet. So she's just expanding on that first sentence that we take on this physical form with its mind and emotions connected to it. And sometimes it, you know, it can feel like it's out of control, the emotions, and but right. we've actually taken on this sort of wild experiment to sort of harness it. <laughs> yes, take it's a workout, it, it, and it's also it's like a workout gym for the soul, you know, <laughs> because you, you talk about application. You want to apply. You want the muscles to grow, and you want and we we use the friction supplied by this emotional dimension to to do that there's several mentionings in the books of uh imagine a surfer on the surfboard out on the waves and if the water is perfectly still well she may just love it for a while and lie there look up at the clouds and enjoy the birds and that but she's waiting for the wave you know, it's the way that she gets to practice her spiritual skills on, her physical skills on, her surfing skills. And it's the same thing for us. It's pointed out somewhere in some chapter that if we can try to look at the, our, the event in our day from this observation point, join them a little more in the lookout tower and look at the events of our days like, the, like a watcher like an observer, we will, yeah. we, we will see that we can keep a sense of humor mm-hmm. when somebody cuts you off in traffic or you're frustrated. Ah, this is my opportunity to use my spiritual skills right here, right now. Mm-hmm. Look what I get to do. Mm-hmm. Look what I get to do in That's our personal events and, and then in the social events. Yeah. I mean, you know what we're going through over here in this country with our politics. Yeah. What an opportunity. What an opportunity. To use our spiritual awareness. Absolutely. I had one of the readers of the books write me and say, what do I do? I'm so upset and angry yeah. at this man, Trump. What do I do? How do I apply it? <laughs> and first... Everyone is a soul in evolution. Yeah. And what a remarkable planetary event that this particular person who is a symbol of a collective state of consciousness. Yes. Yeah. A symbol. Mm-hmm. He's connected to a certain sphere. Mm-hmm. Certain, Which a lot of people are connected to. Yes. Mm-hmm. He is there for us to have the opportunity look to look at. Oh, that's what that looks like. That's what that, that's looks, what like. that looks like. Exactly. Oh. And to radiate a deep and abiding desire for his enlightenment and his upliftment from the deepest and most sincere place within. Because only through his spiritual evolution can he lift anything else up. Yeah. There's no reason to attack. Attack uh, it only accentuates the same 
the same energy. Exactly. It only perpetuates, accentuates, as you say, exactly the energy that you're, that you're fighting against. Exactly. Uh, I know. Exactly. Oh, there's so much. Know, we've run out of time. <laughs> I know. I, like I, I, one of the things I posted on Facebook was something about judgment of people there was something about uh, I think it was the I think it was in book one Jesus was talking and and he, he was saying I can't remember how it goes something about how a lot of have taken his name in vain and 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 used it to place judgment on others and and the Christ consciousness mm-hmm. teaches radical acceptance and forgiveness and unity consciousness and yet mm-hmm. the line that really got me was you know, don't bother changing them for their soul like every, any other soul that's evolving. And eventually they will, they will come to that place. They will mm-hmm. eventually get to that place of that knowing and understanding. And, you know, mm-hmm. for me, who puts out this stuff on YouTube, I get a lot of religious people saying that I'm speaking to the devil and that I don't know oh, Jesus yeah. and all that sort of stuff because I'm not mentioning scripture from the Bible and I'm not doing oh, that okay. stuff. And, you know, that was a great reminder that I don't have to retaliate or even try and teach them or try and enlighten them because they'll get there. You know, they'll find their own way, their own path. And if they're watching these videos, they'll get there. You know, why do they bother watching? (laughs) If they want to just damn it with their sort of religious rhetoric. (laughs) Yeah. Well, most likely they're... There it's are. a combination of things, but part of it, uh, part part of it, is their soul is uh, attracting them to an alternative way of looking at things too. Exactly. But you know, having said that about uh, uh, Donald Trump, I do want to say that I'm not in any way saying, in the face of such uh, an example that's put up there for us to look at, bigotry and so forth, we have to hold our torch even higher in every possible moment, but do so without directing personal hatred and judgment at someone who seems to oppose our views so completely. Yes, exactly. Hate, hate never achieves anything and judgment yeah. never achieves anything. But we do, but the world needs our light more than ever. There's a, a chapter, I think it's in book three, called uh, All, All Hands on Deck. Oh, I love that. All Hands on Deck. All you know, Hands on Deck. We talk about the grand shift because I love putting these spiritual principles into really common language and that just right. really did it for me. Like, you know, Teddy says, right, this is the moment where all hands on deck, you know. It's just that. And it's in book one. She says, one reason I'm able to do this right now yeah. and it's being uh, sponsored by the team, this project, is because now is an all hands on deck time for humanity and history yes i love it really and it really is mm-hmm. I but love it's that. a wonderful time it's a wonderful time it is a wonderful time. Time. there's so much more to talk about in the books as i said we could talk for hours and um th- there was just one other thing that i read i think this morning or last night something about the physical structure of the, the how our physical bodies came into be, which is fascinating. I'm not going to go into it, but your mystical body, your yeah, mystical body, it, 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 how you know the the DNA was formed and how we're evolving physically. And there's so much to read, and so I'm not getting paid to promote the books. And you know, when you write books, you usually don't make a lot of money because that's another thing I get on the YouTube channels too. Oh, you're just promoting a book. You're not actually helping us or teaching us. It's like we're sitting here doing this. We're not getting paid, right? But people are like, oh, you're just promoting some book. You know, that's a lot. Like, you know what? Yeah, I'm promoting a book because you have to be able to read these books to actually, 
get the full gist of what we're talking about because there's so much in them, so much. Well, the books right now they're only available as ebooks. These three because the hard copies have all sold out. And my intention is when book four is finished, uh, sometime this summer, June is my goal, I will print all four and they will be available again in paperback. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you how I read books because I'm not the best reader. I was very dyslexic when I was young. Something that my team had designed for me to be more focused inward than in, on the intellect so that I would sharpen up and develop those intuitive skills, which I've done, which has made me a better reader, actually. But still, I've got that lazy way of reading. So I actually get the computer to read me the books. Oh, good. Yeah. Because I listen. You know, I'm a good listener. So I enjoy listening. So it's like an audio. And uh, so Uh when you have a Kindle book or an e-book, you know, you can get the computer to read it to you. So that's the way I like books. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that kind of thing. Is it is it that kind of computerized sounding voice? It is a bit computerized, but a yeah. little bit. I've, but, I've yeah. chosen Karen. She has an Australian voice, funnily enough, and that is Karen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> On my computer, it's funny. Francis, <laughs> so wonderful to talk with you today. Thank you so much. That was something I was asking you before. Are there any study groups of the books? You know, you know we've had a couple here in Jacksonville that formed. They formed on their own, but mm-hmm. I would come as a guest sometimes and speak with them. Mm-hmm. I would like to have an online study group. Yeah. You know, maybe that's kind of one of my goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, let's do after, it. I'll help you do it. I would love to do that. <laughs> it's time. It's just time, you know, with the fourth book coming out later in the year and next year, me planning to do some traveling. Mm-hmm. and speaking about the books because, you know, I, I'm not a professional promoter in any way, so I haven't really done what s- some people do when they write a book, you know, a lot of promotion. Forth and promotion, yeah. yeah. I've been very focused on my uh, family, my grandchildren. Yeah. Well, we'll get you down under to do but some speaking. That would be lovely. I would love to come back. I was there in 2014. I'm a dual citizen. I love to tell everyone that because I'm just so... <laughs> In love with Australia. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much. And we'll invite you to come in as a guest on the Inner Sanctum. They're the webinar that I put on. I've be only been doing them once a month and I'm feeling like I need to do them twice a month. I need to do them every week, really, where I, I teach and I invite a guest to come on and share their okay. wisdom. Because I have the show, I have access to all these extraordinary people. So I pick my favourite teachers and I ask them to come on and as, as a guest and we explore how you teach and because I really believe that many voices I've had many voices teach me I've had my inner voice but I've had many outer voices and your inner knowing knows which voice to pick it knows yes, it knows what at the level of your understanding what you want to hear right now and what you can't hear today you might want to hear in a couple of years and that would be wonderful. I mean, we've talked about so many things. Maybe we could approach it a little bit more specific. Yeah, well, people that come onto the Inner Sanctum, so it's a, it's a webinar, so people are all there. They, they have the opportunity to ask you questions and we can explore okay. these things more and, and really expand okay. on what we've spoken about. So it's like, a, it's like a teaching, it's like a webinar series. It's not just uh-huh. an interview where you sit passively and watch you're us right. speaking. It's right. you get to be personally involved uh-huh. in the teachings. So 
It's like teaching online. I love it. It's fantastic all over the world. You do. It's marvelous. Thank you again for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Such a such a pleasure. And like I said, I just bask in listening to your Australian accent because you know <laughs> who it reminds me of. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And remember, if you want to join up for the Inner Sanctum, it's by subscription. It's only 22 Australian dollars a month, which is like 15 American dollars. So it's not expensive at all, but it gives you access to me and my guests. Join up and please subscribe and like our channel and join us on social media, Facebook and Twitter and all those delicious places. Thanks again for being with us on ATP. Check out my website, karenswain.com, for any readings and teachings available about spiritual, deliberate creation for the change makers, difference makers, and disruptors. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Clap along if you feel like that's what you want.